Let's pray. Lord, it's, after we sing a song like that, we, we have to stop and listen to you and say thank you for your deep, deep love that covers us and for the opportunity that we have to celebrate your resurrection and to celebrate your ascension into heaven and celebrate your coming again. Be with us as we look at these words. Speak to us each in our own way. I pray that I would handle rightly the passage that you have given us today. And that your spirit would flow through me and flow through us, Lord, as we learn together. Thank you, God, for this time. In your name, amen. So what has it been like for you when you have been connected to and engaged in a great book or a movie? You know, the kind that you don't want to end. You don't know how it will end. The type which you are tempted to just kind of flip to that last page. As I think about all the books I've read of the fiction genre, I mean a nonfiction book, you would kind of hope to know how that thing ends. It seems there are some categories of how they could have ended or, or would end. And so I just listed a few that I have encountered in my time. Uh, one, of course, is the surprise ending. You had no idea at all that this particular ending was coming, uh, whether it was in a movie or a book, and you just kind of, whoa, that kind of feel. And it just ends, and so you have to figure that out. Then there's kind of the thud ending. Uh, that's, that's the ending where it just kind of, all right, that was weird. It just kind of was abrupt and it just was a thud. And then there's the, huh, ending? Like, wait, you're flipping back. You're trying to, okay, who, what character did I miss here? What incident did I miss that caused this ending? And of course, then there's always the mic drop ending, right? Where you're just like, yes. And, and you're just thinking over and over and over about this book and, and this movie and what happened and you need to discuss it. Uh, and then of course there's always the yes, there's going to be a sequel ending, right? You go, oh, I see where they're going with this. You may have more. And we're gonna talk about an ending, the best of endings this morning. Because after Easter, we decided, we decided to go back to the lectionary for our sermons and we found ourselves drawn to the revelation passages and we've just decided to stick with those because thankfully the lectionary didn't get into a lot of the, let's just say the weird passages, right? Where you really should have a discussion. They're just not meant to talk about from the front because we're, we're we'll, we'll, and we'll talk about that later. But it's offered us a, a very appropriate journey through this Eastertide. And so through this mini-series on Revelation, we've been faced with the realities of sin and, of course, the hope of the resurrection of our Lord who ascended to the Father and is coming again soon. More on that later. So today, we have the opportunity to finish the Bible. And this ending is most satisfying I'm pretty excited about that. In all my 40-plus years of ministry, I've never preached on this passage. So today, 
I'm pretty excited about being able to finish the Bible. I even brought a Bible up here because at the end I want to close it and go, yes. Now, I reread the, the history of how, the, you know, the canon of the scripture and how all of these books were put in this Bible. And there were 66 that were chosen. Of course, if you start reading deeply, there's some controversy on some of those books. And perhaps you've heard about some of that controversy. But can you imagine if you're sitting in the room and you're deciding which will be the last book of the Bible? Now, come on. The beginning book? No brainer. A book named Genesis, which has in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Slam dunk on that. That's a mic drop right there. That's the first book. But the last book, well, though I would like to make this dramatic, you know, cue the epic movie score and the, the soft sunset light. The reality is that Revelation has been mostly proven to have been the last book written. Most around uh, 95 AD, somewhere in that, that era. But did John the Elder know he was writing the last words to this wonderful collection to come? Though likely not, he indeed was inspired by God to finish as he did, and he did a great job of doing that. And of course, before you come up to me afterwards and say, well, we're never really finished with the Bible. You're right. We are never really finished with the Bible. But we are going to look at these closing words as if we may never read this again to see what John says to us today. So if you would, follow along with me as I read the scripture. And I'm going to ask you, you might want to have your Bibles open for this because you can close your Bible with me at the end and also refer back to the Bible as we come to these verses. Let's read together. I will read. You can listen. Uh, Re Revelation 22, verses 12 to 21. It says this, See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. And I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. The one who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. 
Word of the Lord. Are you ready for an encouraging and hopeful word this morning? Yes. The answer is yes. We are simply going to just travel through these verses, these concluding words, statement by statement, and just see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Now, over the years, some scholars have looked at some of Paul's final words. If you've ever read the end of some of Paul's letters or those who wrote letters that might be attributed to Paul, there's sometimes it's thrown in, I want to say greetings to so-and-so, and maybe there are some single lines of verses that are, are there in and by themselves. And, and some people, that, well, that's kind of random. But in, in this passage, we see a pretty steady flow. And we're going to, to look at that flow. And in fact, uh, Dr. Robert Wall says the closing of Revelation, like its opening, is bracketed by a sense of urgency. The Lord is coming and the time is near. From verse 11, which we did not read, we see a shift from John the Elder speaking to verse 12 where an angel is delivering the words of our Lord Jesus. And these words of the living Jesus summarize the main message of John's revelation written for the seven congregations spoken of earlier in the book. Jesus is coming back soon to complete the messianic mission. And the Lord will bless those who choose faith. We make the choice. And Dr. Wawa had gone on to say revelation leaves no wiggle room for half-hearted discipleship. It's all in when it comes to this. So today I want to put two key words before you as we travel through the end of this book. Invitation and grace. Invitation and grace. So that, you know, by Tuesday, if you're thinking, remember what the sermon was about? Two words, invitation and grace. Verse 12 and 13 again says, see, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is coming soon to complete his messianic mission. And he is bringing the reward. Everyone will be repaid according to our work as our actions deserve. And then, of course, he says, I'm the alpha and omega. I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And to talk about that was, in, in Greek definition, was to talk about completeness. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, and he has put all things under his feet, and he's made Jesus the head over all of creation, which is his body, the fullest of him who fills all in all. Simply put, Everything we do, everything we are is found in him. William Barclay says, Jesus includes himself in all of life. We cannot escape the presence of Jesus in all of life. And then I want you to see a quote from Charles Spurgeon, who says, preaching orthodoxy or any form of, of doxy, if you have left out Christ, 
There is no manna from heaven, no water from the rock, no refuge from the storm, no healing for the sick, no life for the dead. If you leave out Christ, you have left the sun out of the day and the moon out of the night. You have left the waters out of the sea and the foods out of the river. You have left the harvest out of the year, the soul out of the body. You have left joy out of heaven. Yeah, you have robbed all of its all. There is no gospel worth thinking of, much less worth proclaiming in Jehovah's name, if Jesus be forgotten. Amen. Yes. Many people throughout the ages have thought that God kind of made the world and then he just kind of left it to spin on its own and see what would happen. Revelation reminds us that we do not worship a God of absence. We worship a God of presence who is with us. He is in all of life. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. This is one, this is the last of the seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Often we think of Beatitudes, we think of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, and so on. But there were seven Beatitudes. I want to show you the other six. They'll be up here on the slide. Blessed is the one who reads the words of prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Blessed are the dead who from now on die in the Lord. See, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and is clothed. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. So the seventh means they believed and obeyed Jesus so that their sins could be forgiven by Christ's blood, the washing that we would often refer to as baptism. They have the right to the tree of life. Tree of life at the end of the Bible? Where else was the tree of life? In Genesis. And of course it talks about how they can enter the city gates. Now we could talk for a long time about the significance of just being able to walk in the gates of the city. And it talks about those who are left outside and uh, gives a powerful list there as well. And then we move to verse 16. It says, it is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus testified to the churches. He proclaims who he is and he is in the line of David. And believe me, when he said that, people listened intently because they so revered David. And in fact, Isaiah chapter 11 says, A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. There is hope. Bright and morning star is a symbol of a new day and immortality. It means to be classed among the high heroes. Even way back in the book of Numbers, 
It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. It says that in the book of Numbers. We have hope. And so we get to verse 17 and it says, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who wishes to take the water of life as a gift. Now, whenever you see the same word that many times, you have to stop. There's significance to the word come. And we've already read it in some of these other Beatitudes. How many times the word coming or come is mentioned in the Bible? And that's just in these verses. The Spirit calls us to follow the Lamb and Jesus wherever he goes. And all that needs to be heard has been read out loud. Come, whoever is thirsty. And let everyone who hears say come. So everyone is inviting. And everyone who hears of the glad tidings is asked to spread the news. Our call is to invite other people and to say come. Worship is important. Study is important. Service is important. Ministry is important. But also of equal importance is that we are all saying to all we know, come on, come on, walk with me, walk with me. Think of all the ways that we all could be saying, come on, in our homes, in our schools, in our places of work, in our places of play, wherever we travel this world, come, invite, And Isaiah 55 says this, Here, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. We can come. We can take the water of life as a gift. Then in verses 18 and 19, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plague described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. As I was preparing, read those words, that's a little, that's daunting. That's daunting. I remember talking to my dad who'd been in ministry almost 40 years. I said, do you still get nervous preaching? This is back when I was a 20-some-year-old. And he said, yeah, I do, all the time. And I said, wow. He says, he says I'm handling God's word, and I ought to be nervous about that. And John sticks this near the end, doesn't he? after all of this has been displayed and says, we have a responsibility to handle God's word rightly and accurately and above all, let the word of God speak and we get out of the way. That's what God calls us to do. And of course, this needs to be talked more and more about 
in our society right now, doesn't it? It has been for all of generations. This is, isn't a new thing where people proclaim the word of the Lord because it's their opinion. Let God's word speak. That's what John is saying to us. Let's invite people to come with us. The one who testifies to these things in verse 20 says, surely I am coming soon. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. And this is the seventh time that we have heard that I am coming. So this represents completeness, a done deal. Jesus is coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There is a quick little story that I wanted to share with you. Dr. Joseph Stoll tells about a conversation that he once had with a friend who had founded the Shepherd's Home in Wisconsin for boys and girls with developmental disabilities. And he said, the founder said to Joe, he said, do you know what our biggest maintenance problem is? And Joe said, I have no idea. And the founder of this said, dirty windows. Our kids press their hands and faces against the windows because they are looking to the sky to see if today might be the day that Jesus will return for them and take them to his home where they will be healed and complete. We can invite Jesus to come. We can invite others to come with us to Jesus. We can press our face against the windows and hope that Jesus is coming soon. And then John ends, even though it's one verse, such a key word, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all the saints. And then he says, amen. The prophet ends this in the manner of the great apostle Paul, who often said, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. What a fitting conclusion that I, I love how this ends with this, come on, and we're going to just do this gracefully. We're going to give each other grace. We're going to receive the grace of Jesus, and we're going to walk together. And in these days of challenge, of division, of racism, of violence, of war, of sickness, poverty, and more, on the seventh Sunday of Easter, on the Sunday where we celebrate the ascension and we say he is risen, and we celebrate that it signified success in Jesus' earthly work, all that he had come to do, he had accomplished, and he continues to accomplish his good work. He invites us to come and drink of the water of life. Even as we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Today, Jesus is inviting all of us to come and follow him. This invitation is ongoing. Every day, every moment, we must choose to follow the one who gives us life. How are we doing at accepting that invitation? Has it become the one that we take for granted? Or perhaps even the one that we willfully ignore? Or the one that we're continuing to answer despite the challenges 
and the temptations to do otherwise. In this moment, the invitation is still open. For whatever you have done or continue to struggle with, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with all of us. Amen. Lord Jesus, come. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.